G'day, how are you? That bad. Greetings from the Sunshine State, where it's beautiful one day and you got it. Yeah, I tried to bring some warm weather down with me, didn't quite work, so sorry about that. And I had to put on all my clothes this morning to get here, just so I wouldn't freeze. How are you? Good? Is your heart stirred for the things of God? It's good to be here. I must say, I've travelled to a few congregations over the last few months, and you'd be one of the best-looking ones I've ever seen. I wasn't talking about you, Greg. I was talking about the rest of the people in the room. Fantastic. Well, I get to talk about the thing closest to God's heart this morning, so I'm quite excited about that. You see, in the concept of Missio Dei, which is the mission of God, it says, God has a mission, therefore we exist. I want you to catch that. It's profound, but I want you to catch that. See, a lot of people talk about having a mission in life or a, a goal in life, and we have to, the whole thing, that has to be reversed upside down. It's very, it's very, uh, I don't want to be too, too critical on it, but it's very upside down thinking. You see, let me say it again. God has a mission, therefore we exist. Because if he, if, he, if, he, if he doesn't have a mission, we're not here. We're not supposed to be here. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. God has a mission, therefore we exist. Not we exist for a mission that God's given to us. Now, God has a mission, therefore we exist. But there's no other reason why the church is here. There's no other reason why you're here. You're only here because God has a mission. You're here because you're the outworking of the mission that God had for your life, right? So God is at work in the world uh, trying to reach people. You know, mission, I don't like the word missions. I like the word mission. Uh, and let me say, I'm going to be about that. Mission is, a, is a, one of those overused, misused, and abused terms. It really is. Um, it's a bit like pastor. It's a misused, misunderstood, and overused term. It only appears three times in the Bible, but we call everyone a pastor when most of them aren't. So I tell the people, don't call me pastor, call me Gary, because it's my name. You know, when I came out of my mum's womb, they didn't go, slap, oh, his name's Pastor. <laughs> just, just Gary, right? That's who I am. Uh, my name is Gary, and the gifts oh, and the calling of God on your life just manifests itself over the years, but we label everyone pastors like Christian. Christian's another word. You'll find that three times in the Bible, if you're lucky. You know, that's only if you're using loose versions, right? It's like the word born again. Why, why do we use that word so much when it only appears twice in the Bible? Are you, with, are you saying with me this morning? Like evangelism? wonderful word not even in the bible like evangelists and evangelists plural only appear twice in the bible but we use them all the time are you with me now we use the word mission but the word vision our vision for my life vision vision this well there's visions in the bible as well it's probably more about vision than it's about mission really but why do we use the word mission let's break it all down right why do we use the word mission because it describes god's redemptive plan for the whole world it describes what he is doing not what you're doing not what i'm doing it describes what he is doing in the world through us. We get the privilege to join in. God has a mission and he invites us in on this beautiful plan called reaching the world. Isn't that wonderful? He invites you and I. It, it, what Greg rightly said, you don't have to go overseas on a mission trip as much as I love that. I've traveled to 53 nations. I love that. We encourage all of our people to go on missions, you know, to you know, stop going on holidays and go on mission instead. You know, take, you've got four weeks holiday every year, at least two weeks, go on you know, have a great time on the Sunshine Coast, but take two weeks and go to a place you've never been to before where people need Jesus and you'll, you'll, uh, it'll be better than your holiday. You'll be more refreshed by doing that than your holiday. Trust me, I've done it. It's a beautiful thing. So I get to talk about the thing that's closest to God's heart this morning. Um, I never cease to be amazed 
at how God uses someone to reach someone. I'm the recipient of that. I'm not here because the Bible fell out of the sky and hit me on the head. I'm here because someone reached out to me. Hello? You're here today because someone reached out to you. Can we just break this thing down? Love thy neighbor is the cornerstone. Imagine, imagine this, right? God, God's genius, right? Imagine if the whole world, including politicians, applied love thy neighbor. Imagine if every, if every political system was built around love thy neighbor. I mean, can you imagine that for a moment? The mind would boggle when you think about the idea. Imagine if you and I really did love our neighbor. Imagine that. The world would be changed. Just in three words, love thy neighbor. Love your neighbor. Amazing. Lest we add to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's a challenge for all of us because some of us don't like ourselves, <laughs> which is why we find it hard to love people sometimes, right? But love the neighbor is the cornerstone, really, it really is. So I never cease to be amazed at how God uses people to reach people. I, I just, I'm amazed. I, I'm thankful to God this morning that he used someone to reach Gary, you know, at the age of 20, struggling to know that the things of God. You know, I, I really am grateful. I really am. Um, I don't know if you've traveled much, but I love going around the world. And, I, you know, when you go to places like London, I live in London, for, not in London, but I lived in the UK for five years and, and went to London a lot. And when I used to love going to the subway. Some people are fearful of the subway in London. But I went to the subway a lot. You know, it's used by 4.8 million people every single day. 4.8 million people, all of Melbourne, using the one, the one mechanism every single day. It's amazing. And when you're there and you just, and it's peak hour, peak hours, I take a deep breath. Because right? little guys like me get lost, right? Not because I don't know where I'm going, but we just get trampled on, right? You know, you get carried up in the, in the people just carrying you along. It's like get a free ride down the, down the stairs, you know? It's amazing, you know? But 4.8 million people, I just stand there and say, God, who's going to reach all these people? You know, it's like Shinjuku Station. Have you ever been to Japan? Give me a wave. Shinjuku Station is used by 3.5 million people. One train station! One. I mean, the subway of London's got many train stations, but one, one flipping train station used by 3.5 million people every day. You stand there and you go, who's going to reach all these people? It's like an ocean of souls. And when you're in places like that, I, for me anyway, maybe you're different, but for, when you're in places like that, you catch the Father heart of God. It's like being in the marketplace in Mong Kok and Hong Kong. Who's ever done that? When you're standing there and everyone's focused on shopping, but you see a sea of ocean of people around you, and, and if your heart's not moved for the enormity of what God loves, something's wrong. And for me, my heart's been moved over and over again, but also boggled by how will God, how do you reach all these people? Is it really just always about Reinhard Bonnke and big crusades in Africa and a million people coming to Christ in one meeting? Is it really just about that? And if that's the case, then what do I do? What's my role in this then? If it's, just, if it's just him, you just need a few more of him then. When I read God's word, I don't see that. When I read God's word, I see his genius in there. How he uses all of us. Every single one of us right now where we're at, not because we're done three years of Bible college, but because right now where we're at. Each and every one of us, that's what mission is. God has a mission, therefore we exist. And God uses you right now, not because you've been to the mission summit, not because you've done some study, but right now, where you're at, he uses you. Come in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read a story. Some of you know this story very well, and it's possible that a few of you in this room have even heard me share on this passage, but hopefully I'll show you something a little bit different this morning. 
Acts chapter 3 is going to come on the screen, I think, just to help you out if you didn't bring your Bible along. New King James Version. I'm ringing a little bit up on the stage here. I don't know why. Uh, now, Peter, you want me to hold this closer to my mouth at all? Am I okay? All right, okay. Uh, verse 1, New King James Version. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms, A-L-M-S, not A-R-M-S, from those who entered the temple. In other words, some charity, some coins. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's an old song. Who knows that song? Great. That's where it comes from. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's. They were greatly amazed. Peter goes on and preaches. Come with me, Acts 4. Run your finger down the, your Bible there. Or scroll up on your iPhone. Acts 4, verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men, just the men, came to be about 5,000. Scroll down a bit further. Verse 22, an important piece of information. Acts 4, verse 22. The story's still going. It says here, For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Wow. Uh, uh, this is an incredible story. Who loves that story? That's wonderful. We should read it again this afternoon. Just go over it and read it a bit slower and have a look again at the depth of what's inside this story. But I don't know what's the greater miracle here. The fact that 5,000 men and the spillover of that, that would have occurred through their families and their oikos, their, their social circles, what would have happened on that particular day. I don't know if that's the greater miracle or the man who was healed. Maybe there is no greater miracle. But all I know is this, is that none of that would have happened unless three things happened first. And I want us to look at these three things. It's just my, my, my observation from the text. These three things Peter and John did, and I'm convinced that if we did this more in our workplace, in our universities, in our neighborhoods, in our shopping centers, we too would see salvations and healings like this here. Who would like to see that? Because we, 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 we pray about this for years. Those of us that have, you know, have, have been going to church for a long, long time, have a revelation of Jesus' personal Lord and Savior, we've been praying about this for a long, long time. And some of us are wishing for the day that it would happen. I'm telling you, friends, to me, if we do these three things, we will see these things happen more and more and more. So here we go. So the first thing that I see they did in this, and I want you to, if you're taking notes, very simple, right? They stopped. Now, this profound, I know, and simple even more so, but here's the reality. They stopped. You see, if they didn't stop, there was nothing was going to take place. 
You see, the, re- the issue is they stopped. If only we would stop more. We live in a microwave society. Everyone's got hurry sickness. Everyone's rushing somewhere. Everyone's busy going somewhere. We live in a time poor world. Time is money, we are told. Isn't that ironic? Time is money. Where everything is hands-free, high-tech, you know, everything is like it's got to be now. You're driving a Hungry Jacks. You order your food. You shouldn't go to Hungry Jacks, by the way. But you go to Hungry Jacks and you go into Hungry Jacks. You order your food. You go around, just drive to the next window. You drive to the window. You give your money. She goes, go to the next window. Go to the next window. They apologize, for, they apologize to you for waiting. At what point in time did I wait for my food? I never waited for my food. Roughly, when I ordered to the time I got the burger, it was roughly about 93 seconds. When did I wait? You see? You see, we live in this world where the key words are convenience. To Paul Scanlon some years ago in his church in the UK, he ran this idea. He said, perhaps the biggest obstacle to seeing God's kingdom expand in the UK is inconvenience. He said, we just don't want to be inconvenienced. And so he started a, a, camp- a campaign in his church where they all wore, wore these T-shirts called Go Ahead, Inconvenience Me. And they wore it through the neighborhood. And he said, I dare you to be inconvenienced just 15 minutes every day, not interruptions, but divine appointments. If you think there are interruptions and inconveniences in your world, let those people interrupt you and inconvenience you for 15 minutes and let's see what God does with us all. It was amazing. You see? If only we'd stop more. So write in your diary today, maybe put it as a, as a reminder, I need to start stopping. We need to stop more. If only we would pause. You see, that's what they did here. They stopped. Where were they? What, what were they busy doing? They were busy on their way to church. I want you to stop for a moment and consider the world. Can you do that with me? Stop for a moment and consider the world. The population of the world is 7.6 billion people. They say, researchers say, that every day about, th- about 37,000 people, say that's about 52,000 people die every day, of which 37,000 of them will die every day having never heard the name of Jesus once. That's what motivates me to get out of bed and keep on doing what I'm doing every day because I want people to know about Jesus. Regardless of your end time theology and all the things you might believe about all of that and good people going to heaven, all I know is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and I am the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. He said it, it's good enough for me. So my goal in life is to make everyone, help everyone discover Jesus. I keep my theology simple. That just drives me. And it should drive you as well, you see. And so, it, it, it's, you, know, there's, you know there's 45 million slaves in the world today? according to International Justice Mission. Despite all of our abolition efforts, we still have 45 million slaves in the world today. We think we're doing well. We're doing poor since Wilberforce. We're not doing that well, really. You know, there's 884 million people who do not have clean water. I'm on the front row scuttling at some beautiful spring water there. 884 million who have no access to clean water whatsoever, so they are suspect to waterborne diseases. In this next hour, I'm not that I'm going to preach for an hour. Who wants me to preach for an hour? Right, preach for an hour. In this next hour, I see those hands. Thank you. Where's Charles? Uh-huh. Uh, 875, no, 875 children. And let me pause. 875 children. Ponder will die in this next hour. 
from diseases that we have the cure for. Your children, my children, got an injection or a tablet, which they got for free through Medicare. Are you with me? But 875 children in the world will die in this next hour. Last night on TV, they said it was every five seconds a little child in Africa dies needlessly. The word needlessly is what's powerful. That's sobering, isn't it? You see, how do you think God feels about that? You see, if, if it moves him, it must move us. We can't say the love of God lives in us and not be moved by that, by that thought. I want you to stop today like they did and consider the needs of the world right in front of them. And, and this is what happens here. You see, 80%, 8 80% of the world live on less than 10 US bucks a day. There's no one in this room that fits that category. Not even if you're on the dole. I've said this a couple of times before, but I did this little exercise with my daughter when she was 19. She's 28 now, just turned 28 this month. My eldest daughter, when she was 19, she was getting uh, social security benefits from the Australian government, which we love, hip hip hooray. And they get the social Centrelink payments. I put her money, converted it into American dollars, put it into a, a calculator online called uh, Global Rich List or something like that, Global Calculator or something online. Don't know what it was. Can't remember now. It was a long time ago. And she landed, 19-year-old Australian, on Centrelink benefits. She landed in the top 11% richest people on planet Earth. Top 11%. Think about that. It's sobering. But 80%, 8-0, live on less than 10 US dollars. When God talks in his word about stuff, it's not just you and me and the Australian context. We westernize everything through that Western Australian lens. Or even more so, we personalize it, God's word for me. Friends, when he writes this, he's relating to the entire world. When he says things like this, to whom much is given, much will also be required. He's talking about you and I in the context of the world. The world, not just your neighbor, though that's powerful. You see? You know that one-third of the world live in two nations? Did you know that? One-third of the world live in just two nations, China and India. I want to tell you, God has a plan for China and God has a plan for India. In fact, if you want to study the, one of the most phenomenal moves of God in the world in the last 50 years, you need to study the Chinese church because it is a phenomena. They are more born again, more Christian than Australian. Make no, oh, that big communist nation up there is going to boo-hoo her whole world, friends. They are more Christian than us. Statistically, they are. It's somewhere between 10 and 12% born again, spirit-filled now. A lot of people. Between 130, 150 million people. You ever thought about that? It's 1.32 billion people. Have you ever thought about how much a billion is? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, let's just do a little exercise for a moment. Just imagine Charles had a million dollars. And out of the generosity of his heart, he's going to send April shopping. Yeah, yeah. And here's the deal, April. You have to go out shopping every single day. Oh, that would be hard. And you must spend $1,000 every day. You must. Start with zero and come home broke at the end of every day and spend the whole million dollars, right? How long will it take you to spend a million dollars if you went shopping every day? I'm testing your maths now, right? It's going to take you about three years. Are you with me? Any ladies like to go shopping every day for three years? Any guys that like to do that? Who'd like to come shopping with me? Yeah, me and Nick, we're going shopping. Yep. 
it would take you, it would, April, it would take you about three years of going shopping every day, a thousand bucks a day, to spend a million. So if he had a b billion, it would take you 3,000 years to spend the billion dollars. So let's just think about that for a moment. 1.32, Sam Grimshaw, listen, here's the deal. If God gave you the supernatural ability to save a thousand people per day in China, right? To save all of China is going to take you 3,616 years. And that's if it didn't grow. Uh, you're sitting there like me, you, you, your head's going, too many figures for me. Exactly. But God never sees numbers. He never sees numbers. He sees people. He sees individual lives. He knows your name. He knows how to spell it correctly and pronounce it properly. I'm not Rukai, Ricky, Richard, Richie with a T-C-H-I-E. I'm Ruchi. And he knows it. Isn't that good? No matter who you are this morning, if you don't go to church very regularly, listen to me today. He loves you more than you realize. The Bible says this, if a sparrow falls to the ground and he cares, because he does, then how much more valuable are you to him? That's powerful. He loves all of his creation, but in particular, he loves you. In Let no one fool you about where you came from. You were perfectly, beautifully, wonderfully stitched together inside of your mom's womb. You weren't an accident. You're the divine plan of God. Amen. So here's the deal. They stopped. They stopped. Now that might be profound to you and simple, but friends, if they didn't stop, nothing would have happened. It was the very first step of the thing that catalyzed the hand of God to literally transform a community and birth the church. Are you with me today? This is not a story to skip over in the Bible. This is one to look, at, look upon and meditate clearly about what's happening here in this text. They stopped. Would you have stopped? I mean, think about it. How about just for a couple of moments, divulge with me. Imagination. You ready? Who's ready to put imagination on? Imagination. I want you to imagine what the beggar looked like. Now, some of you, it's going to be easier than others because you've traveled to poor nations around the world and you've seen beggars. You've seen uh, the, the poor and the extreme poor. So some of you will engage with this idea over the next couple of minutes better than others. But for those of us that have simply seen movies or any ads on TV recently, you should be okay with this exercise, right? First of all, how old is the man? He was more than 40 years of age. Now think about this. He's been carried every day to the gate. Why? Because he has never walked in his entire life. He's been lame from his mother's womb, from his birth. This is why the miracle is so powerful, right? From his birth, he's never walked. So what do you think his legs may have looked like? You know, probably as skinny as this here, because to build bone mass, you've got to exercise, right? So they're probably as skinny as this and probably twisted. You know the little idea there as he hung on to Peter and John at Solomon's porch? That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Why was he hanging on to them? It says strength came back into his ankle bones and he leapt and he walked and we don't know what that looked like. Maybe they were twisted. Maybe they were contorted. Maybe they were short. They were definitely emaciated. There'll be no muscle on there at all because to build muscle, you have to exercise. He's never used them. They're dangling from, don't, I'm not being derogatory. They're dangling from his torso. 
He has lived down here all of his life. Down here. He doesn't know what it's like to sit on chairs. And, and, and he crawled around on the ground. It wasn't carpet that he crawled around on. This is, this is, this is 2,000 years ago. How did he get around? On his hands. On what? On dirt and rocks. Imagine the cuts, the abrasions, the infections, the sores, the calluses. You know, his, his hands would have been like a native Papua New Guinean's feet who've never worn shoes. Are you with me? Not like your feet. Our feet are soft compared to the tribal peoples of the world, where theirs is like thick leather. Well, his hands would have been like that. His hands, these were his feet as he dragged himself around on his torso. How did he protect his genitalia as he got himself around? And he was carried every day, carried to the gate. Did they carry him away and take him to the toilet as well? Or did he defecate and urinate where he sat? He sat there. He was famous for sitting there. Why? Because he was there a lot. Because this was a great place to beg. Why? Because there was lots of people there. When you go to places like London, the beggars aren't hiding down alleyways where you can't find them. They'll get nothing down there. They'll starve to death. They're always in places where it's very public, lots of people. He was famous for always being there. doesn't say there was anything special about him, that he was playing a guitar or strumming or busking. He was just there calling out, calling out, calling out for some charity. And everyone, like always, passed him by and some flicked him some coins, some shrapnel, like we do with most things when it comes to giving to charities. Coin flick. All donations over $2 are tax deductible. Why would you bother? You get a receipt for two bucks. That's going to reduce your tax big time, isn't it? Think about it, friends. What has coin flicking ever done for the church? What has coin flicking ever done for people around the world? People don't need charity, they need justice. They don't need your sympathy, they need empathy. Empathy means put yourself in their shoes. And today what I'm trying to do in these first 10, 15 minutes is try to get you to put yourself in their shoes. When we talk about the needs of the world, it should touch your heart and motivate you to do more than what you're doing now. It motivates me. Still, it should motivate you as well. Because God has a mission. That's why we exist. We don't exist for the great Australian dream of owning our own home and getting an investment property or two or three. It's not the goal. Really, we can't take that stuff with us. And when we get there, there'll be lots of people. No houses, no nice clothes, no shreds. Just us and God. And all the people that we reached. I pray that touches your heart this morning. Uh, so they stopped. You know, here's the deal. If we lose sight of one, we've lost sight of the kingdom of God. Why did they stop? i tell you why they stopped that man. You ready? Because they saw Jesus doing it. Just like Jesus to stop, isn't it? The one on the road, the one at the well, the one at the pool, the one up the tree, the one in the crowd. Think about it. He always stopped for one. It always says this, and the crowd thronged him or pushed against him, bustled him, yelled out to him, but he stopped for one. The one, the one. Friends, here's my first point. Please stop for one. How will we change the world? You know, friends, look at us here. 
It's not about April trying to reach one. Imagine if we all committed to reaching one. It's not about April trying to reach a thousand, or Sam trying to reach a thousand. It's about you reaching one, you reach, me reaching one. Imagine if we all reach one. Hundreds will be reached this morning. Hello? That's how God reaches his kingdom. You see, movements move. Denominations don't, but movements move. Denominations get buried down, but movements move. And what do they move on? Tell you the reason why they grow? Because they move on the existing social structures. They don't create new ones. They move on the existing ones. The man gets saved and tells everyone in his gym that he's a Christian. Everyone in his football club. The girl gets saved, tells everyone in her netball team, everyone in her workplace, in her, everyone in the university club. That's how it happens. Everyone in, neighbor, everyone in her family. That's how the kingdom of God has always spread throughout the earth, throughout all of history. That's how it's all. And, the, and praise God for the Reinhard Bonkies. They're the exceptions to the rule. They really are. When we lose sight of one, we've lost sight of the kingdom of God. Let me move. I've got a holy stuff there. I'm going to skip past that. Flick over that. Here we go. Here we go. Right. Scroll down to verse 6. It says this. He cries out, expecting to see something from them. And I love this verse. It says, Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold I do not have. But, you see, I love that little phrase, silver and gold. I don't think he was lying. Right? I don't think he was lying. And, 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 and even if he felt if he did have silver and gold, he knew that's not what he needed. Isn't it just like God to give you what you need rather than what you want? Some of us are struggling right now in our own lives with the will of God and it's because you're praying about what you want but God wants to give you what you need. And what you need doesn't always look as attractive as what you want. But I'll tell you long term, it's better. So what did he want? He wanted some coins so he can keep on surviving. But God doesn't want you to survive. He wants you to thrive. And so because he wants you to thrive, he gives you what you need, not what you want. So the guy says, I want some coins and they give him his legs back. Isn't that powerful? And only God can do that. That's why whenever we're doing mission, we have to ask this question, is our help really helping? Because we love to help. We are, we are designed for good works. We love to do good things. We feel happy when we're helping people. That's your happy spot. Do you realize that? Your happy spot is helping people. Because it says in Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, 10, you've been, you, you're saved, not by your own works, but by His grace through faith, Right? Yeah, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created for. Created for what? To have a dream. No, no, created for good works that he's prepared beforehand that you should do them. You see, friends, that's why you get a buzz, a rush, a thrill when you help people. Do more of that, you'll be happier. Amen. You'll be happier. You see, so let's do that. So, so here, silver and gold I don't have. Yeah, we're always focusing on what we don't have. Isn't it phenomenal? In Australia, we're so affluent, we're educated, high on the OCE index, we're on the G20, I think moving toward G8. Well, I mean, we're just so, we're so awesome. Us Aussies, us Islanders, biggest island in the world, smallest continent in the world, show-offs, best football teams, all the rest of it, thinking about the best cricket team, but we haven't, all that sort of stuff. We have so much to offer. We've got all this stuff going on, wonderful wages, freedom of religion still. Think about it. Opportunities for our young people, and we still whinge about what we can't do and what we don't have. Still. 
And here is a rule for us here. Silver and gold I don't have, but. Oh, praise God for all the big buts in the Bible, amen? But. But always changes the story. Changes negative into positive, positive into negative. But is an amazing word. But turns things upside down. Silver and gold I don't have, but. Let me ask you a question. But what do you have? What do you have? This is the thing about the kingdom of God when it comes to mission. He always uses what's in your hand. Always uses what's in your hand. Moses, who's having a bit of a whinge, and rightly so, you brought us out here to die. I'm now in front of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is coming and slaughter us. What was that plan about, God? That failed, didn't it? Great idea, God. It's all gone wrong. Here I am. I've got nothing to do. What does he say to Moses? Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand, Moses? A stick. We call it a rod. It's a fancy word for a stick. He points it out, parts the sea. Uh, the, the, the widow of Zarephath, uh, the, the, the prophet comes along and says to the woman, what do you have in your house? She says, nothing but. No, no, friends. You can't have nothing but. It's either nothing, nothing, full stop, or nothing, nothing. But you can't have nothing but. That means something. It's not a twist on words. But if you say nothing, but means you've got something. You say, we always look at the nothing, but, 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 but what do you have? And she says, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And he goes, thanks, I'll take that. It's a bit rude, isn't it? But he takes the flour, he takes the oil, he blesses it, gives it to God, in other words, and God multiplies it. God always multiplies what you have. A little bit that you have. Always works with what you have. You see, friends, here's, here's a second key for mission. This, wouldn't, this, this only happens. You see, first they stopped. The second thing is they didn't focus on what they didn't have and they didn't focus on what they couldn't do. They did not focus on their limitations. They focused on the possibility. And so this is what engaged the miracle. They gave what they had. And all it cost them, friends, was some time. Because what they have was resident inside them. You know, all of us, you know, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. That's what the Bible says, by the way. The same spirit that lives in, that, that lives in him lives in you. So we can do, we are, the, we are, we are the mission. We are the mission. We are the missionaries, if you want to use that word, the missionaries of God. You hearing me? Because the spirit of God lives inside of each and every one of us. Silver and gold I do not have. Friends, my plea to you this morning is this. When are you going to stop focusing on what you can't do? When are you going to stop focusing on what, what? Why are you always looking at the impossibility in your workplace? Why? God will use what's in your hand. I remember years and years ago when I was serving in a, in a large church in Adelaide. And uh, I was new on the team and there was a, a funeral that was taking place. And it was for an old lady in the church. And I was working in the youth team. And uh, she was in her 80s. And... They said that we all needed to go to the funeral. And I just said, well, do I need to go? Like, why do we need to go? She's not part of the youth. <laughs> you know, she's 81. She died. I don't know her. <laughs> I wasn't being rude. I said, like, why, why should I go? I didn't even know her. You know, they said, no, no, all the staff need to be there. She was a special lady. I went, oh, okay then. So I got to the funeral and, you know, they had this funeral service. Where I went for about two hours, this funeral service. Longest funeral service I've ever been in. 30 minutes of it was taken up of people giving testimonies to this little lady who was called the fruitcake lady. You see, this lady, what she believed is that God gifted her to make fruitcakes. 
And that's all she did for decades in that particular church. Every time a new person came to the church, every time a new person moved into her neighborhood, she would make a fruitcake and go to their door and give it to them and say, God loves you, so do I. If there's anything I can help you with, then, and she would pray for them, whatever like that. And one after the other, for 30 minutes, no exaggeration, for 30 minutes, people came from the audience, one after the other, to come up and pay tribute to a little old lady who gave them a fruitcake. And said, I'm in this church, I'm in the kingdom of God today because the lady gave me a fruitcake. I learned a lesson that day. God always uses the little that you have. And he'll use you as well. Oh, I've got a whole list of stories there. Think about Gladys Aylward, for example. In 1930, she applied to become a, a, a missionary with Hudson Taylor, China Inland Mission, and she was rejected. She was rejected. She was heartbroken. This little power maid, she was heartbroken. She goes up into her, her, into her little bedroom and she pours out all that she had on the bed. It was two pennies of Bible. She threw a Bible on there. She put a pennies on there. She put a journal on there. She fell down on her knees and says, God, here I am. There's my money. There's my Bible. And here's me. I want to serve you. They don't want me, but do you want me? And if you want me, I'll go. She worked her guts out. She saved up two pounds and nine pence. That's what she saved up. That's all she had. She saved up her money. Then someone else gave her some money. Then someone else gave her some money. Not enough to catch the ship to China, but enough to catch the train. Liverpool Station to The Hague, from The Hague up to Moscow. Moscow, the Siberian Railway, right across the Vladivostok. Didn't get to Vladivostok. She was on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the train with military men. They got off in the middle of winter. There she was she with her pots, her pans, and two suitcases, and a little bit of coins in her pocket, and she started to walk south into China. Eventually meeting up, long story short, meets up with the lady, her hero, the one that she'd heard about, Janine Lawson, met up with her and then began to buy little Chinese girls out of slavery. Nine pence at a time. She bought them out of slavery and made them her own children. In the end, she gathered 100 children together. Look up the story of Gladys Alwood, the single most noted female missionary in history. Just a little that she had. Friends, listen to me, look at me. Stop focusing on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. God will use it. Amen? Here's the third thing. Let's very quickly, let's finish and bring it to a close. So what was the first one, by the way? What did they do? They stopped. What was the second one? They didn't focus on limitations. They focused on what they had, not what they didn't have. Okay, here's the third one. The third one is they stepped out in faith. I mean, friends, this is what you have to do. You've got to step out in faith. You see, you can, you can amen the sermon, have the, have the goosebumps during the worship, you can go to the summit, go to the seminar, go to the conference, read the book, watch the movie, get the CD, get the T-shirt, do all of that and still do nothing. You can say, oh, yeah, I agree with that, Gary. I need to focus more on what I don't have, what I do have. Yeah, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. But friends, you've got to do something with that. You see, he stepped out in faith. I imagine, imagine, I mean, imagine he stepped out in faith he grabs him, but friends, would you have grabbed that right hand? Come on, listen to me. Would you have grabbed that right hand? Those, those hands that were really feet? Would you, have, would you have grabbed that right hand? I mean, think about it. The fear maybe of disease, the prejudice. What about the prejudice? That's enough, isn't it? Unclean. Jewish mindset. Think about Jews. They're all Jews. Jesus was, Jesus was a Jew. Touch an unclean man, unclean thing, that's unclean. I don't touch him. What do I touch him for? Touches him by the right hand. What if he, that was enough for me. 
I need to reach out more. I need to get over my own racism, my own prejudice, my own insecurity, my own fear, and I need to reach out more. Gary Ritchie needs to reach out more. And so do you. But even though he gets past that, what about this fear? What if he grabbed him by the hand in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and he just drags him across the floor? Well, it could have happened. Well, I'm not going to pray for anyone. What if nothing happens? Oh, you've never said that. It's only me that said that, right? Because that could have happened. But it didn't. You see? And you re- they, you've got to engage your faith. It's not enough to say amen. It's not enough just to go to church. We have to do something with what we believe. And if we want to see salvations, and if we want to see miracles across our communities, we've got to do what Peter and John did here. We've got to step out in faith. It's just a simple thing. They stepped out in faith and they saw something happen. This miracle happened because they stepped out in faith. My time's done. Band, why don't you come and join me? Is that okay? Come up here. I'm going to give you just a... Can I give you some homework? Is that all right? Who likes homework? That's what I thought. You all hate me now. Don't give me any homework, Gary. Who do you think you are? I've had enough of homework. Okay, let me put it this way. Who likes reading God's Word? Okay, so as Greg comes, I want you to just to... I want you to write this down, okay? I want you to read Acts 8, 9, and 10. Acts 8, 9, and 10. Now, when you read Acts 8, 9, and 10, you'll see a pattern. What's the pattern? The pattern is this. You'll see how God always needs someone to reach the one that He's at work in. You know, God's at work in the world, and He needs someone to go and be with them. Who believes God is at work in the church? Yeah, He is. But while He's here, He's also there. He's also there. God's at work in the world and He wants us to realize that. That's what mission's about. You see? So in Acts chapter 8, preview, I'll give you the first one and you can pick the rest up yourself. You'll see the pattern. You ready? Because I'm closing. Acts 8. The man is an Ethiopian eunuch. That's how you know him, right? Ethiopian, a chocolate black man. Ethiopians, um, most a lot of the Ethiopians have a, a, a browner complexion. So he's from Ethiopia. He's riding a chariot. He's been worshiping in Jerusalem in the only way that he knows how to. He's probably an Ethiopian Jew, most likely. And he's traveling on a chariot. And as he's going, leaving Jerusalem, he's reading the scriptures, but he doesn't under, he doesn't understand what he's reading. Now, here's the deal. Watch this. Watch this. God sees him. Now that's profound right there. He's not in church. He's in his chariot. He's in his car. Reading the, you shouldn't be reading while he's driving, but someone else is driving, obviously, right? And, and he's reading and he doesn't understand. And God knows that he's hungry. God's always drawn toward faith and hunger. Always. What we sang earlier. Always. But he needs someone to go to him. Notice that God doesn't come down by himself. He needs someone to go to him. So he pulls Philip out of revival meetings in Samaria and transports him there. It's before planes. Amazing story. And long story short, read it for yourself, helps him understand the Scriptures and baptizes him in water. Who was the man? The man was the treasurer to Queen Candace of Ethiopia. And if you trace the history of the Ethiopian church, it traces all the way back to him. It's powerful. Acts 9, guy called Saul who becomes... Yeah, but he was Saul before and he hated the church. His job was to persecute the church. God loves him so much, even though he's persecuting the church, God loves him so much he confronts him all by himself. He wasn't praying. 
oh God, please. No, 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 I hate God. No, 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 I, he believes, he's got, he's got Jewish background. He believes in God, but not, he doesn't believe in this Jesus thing. God so loves him that he intervenes in his world, even though he's antagonistic toward God's plans. Isn't that wonderful? But notice this, even though he does that, he still needs someone. Read it for yourself. I'm done this morning. Three things, what were those three things? If we want to see this happen in our world, three things. Stop more. Stop focusing on what you can't do. Focus on what's in your hand. And the third one, do something. Faith. Engage your faith. Step out today. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Greg. Amen. Wasn't that good?